I'm very pleased to be joined this morning by Amy Gallagher. Amy is a registered mental health nurse and she was studying forensic psychotherapy at the Tavistock and Portman uh, NHS Trust. Um, she's now suing the Trust for discrimination against her, against her beliefs, she's a Christian, uh, and against essentially her skin colour because she seems to be the wrong colour as well. Um, this has been uh, reported in the, the mainstream media. We covered this a few days ago on the UK Column News. And it's uh, a case that illustrates the, uh, the, the movement of woke ideology, the march of woke ideology through our institutions, in this case, the NHS, and NHS training and staff training and the belief system that the NHS is inculcating into those who care for us. So it's a very important story. Amy, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'd like to just to set the scene briefly. Um, you were stu you're studying at uh, uh, Tavistock and Port uh, Portman Trust. Just tell us a little bit a little bit about the course you were on and what your studies involved. So just to explain, I'm a, yeah, I'm a mental health nurse. I'd already done two years at the Tavistock and Portman. Um, I did an initial postgraduate diploma um, in psychotherapy, and then I returned to do my final two years um, in forensic psych psychotherapy. Um, it takes four years of training to become a psychotherapist, so I was kind of halfway through and there to complete my final two years, which involves clinical work and attending seminars and lectures and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, so that 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 and that was in 2020 when I rolled for the first the first two years. Yeah. What was the first the first moment where you realised uh, something might be wrong here? I'm not very comfortable uh, with with how what I'm being asked to believe or what information is being presented. You know, what was the first moment you thought, well, we we, we could have an issue? Yeah, so the first the first moment was quite quite soon into the course when um, I was required to attend a lecture on race and racism, which is an important topic, especially in psychology. Um, and I was quite interested to find out kind of the psychological uh, theories and understandings of race and racism. Um, but the lecture itself was very different from what I expected. So it was very very political. So it was talking about Black Lives Matter and. That the media was racist in its treatment of Meghan Markle, and it was quoting theorists like Ibram X. Kendi um, and Tanahisi Coates, who aren't psychologists. They're actually uh, critical race theorists, which is a, a, a very kind of radical, divisive ideology. And it didn't seem to have that much reference to psychotherapy. Um, and there was also this kind of thread throughout the lecture of being quite anti-Christian. So it was talking about the impact of the transatlantic slave slave trade and it was linking it repeatedly to Christianity so at the end of this lecture I sort of said I've, I've noticed that you've singled out Christianity and spoke about it in a in a negative way and I'm curious about why that is and the lecturer said well um, we do see Christianity as being uh, racist because it's European um, and I, I didn't say much in response to that. I, I just explained that, the, that I thought that the lecture was highly political and quite biased. Um, so that happened. And I just thought maybe that's just a one-off, you know, um, 
I'm not too not too thrilled about it, but you know, I didn't say anything further. And then three days after that, I got sent an email with a link to a lecture that was titled Whiteness, a Problem for Our Time. Um, this was advertised as being a, a policy seminar for the trust. Um, and they were they were advertising it quite heavily. And they, um, I looked on the website and I saw quite very radical, what I would consider racist things. It was saying whiteness and racism are the same thing. Um, and it spoke about that it's the job of white people to tackle racism. Um, and then I watched the lecture because I was interested and um, particularly because it was billed as part of their kind of policy. And um, it was just pure ideology. It was, um, they were using phrases like white fragility, white ignorance. Uh, at one point she said, white people don't understand the world. She said um, all, all, all sorts of things, uh, being facing the, the implications of being white isn't comfortable. And it was a lot of shaming and a lot of, of guilt around the idea of being white, which as a someone who's interested in mental health, I found that to be quite concerning because it's it's not a positive narrative um, to give people. Um, so at that stage, I I was quite shocked and I was thinking, well, I've, I've paid all my money into this institution um, and I'm not too happy about the fact that I'm paying for this kind of stuff. Um, it was, yeah, I, I just, I found it deeply offensive and so I, I responded to that lecture with an email response saying to the students, you know, that that this is these ideas are an ideology called critical race theory. Um, it's actually not not clinical psychology. Um, and we need to be I personally don't think being white is a problem. And we need to be aware that there's different viewpoints and we will be treating patients who have different viewpoints and that this is just one view and it's quite a narrow view. Um, so that was my response to it. Uh, firstly, equating the slave trade with Christianity. I mean, this is one of the um, hallmarks of this ideology, is, this, is, it, is the cherry picking of, of facts or alleged facts to, to create a narrative. Um, the slave, I mean, the slave trade as a whole has been happening in all nations at all times, basically until 1830 when the British Empire decided to stop it. Um, but the the driver behind the move against the slave trade was of course Christianity. Yes. Um, especially the especially the Methodist uh, the campaigning active nature of, of the Methodist religion at the time. Um, they were talking about getting things done and improving the world and they wanted to eliminate the slave trade and they did. I mean they got Parliamentary support. They got this the 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 entire slate uh, trade outlawed in in the uh, in the empire, and then the West African squadron of the Royal Navy um, spent decades stamping it out. Um, but it was all actually driven uh, by Christians, predominantly in England, campaigning to bring that situation about, they would also be white. Uh, it, it's the, the irony of the errors involved in the narrative that was that was presented to you are, are quite striking. And of course, you know, the, the Muslim arms were hugely involved in the slave trade, the Barbary pirate, pirates were, I mean, everybody was involved in the slave trade. Jewish middlemen, you name it, it was all happening. 
the whole the whole planet was involved in this and always had been. But it, it was actually predominantly the Methodist Christians that 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 that, that turned that turned the situation around by a determined and long-lasting principled stand against what was happening. So that, that's one thing. Um, and the other uh, issue you mentioned is this, this attack on whiteness and, and the use of these strange terms, white fragility. Um, yeah, white ignorance. Much, uh, white ignorance. When you, you obviously now understand what you're dealing with there. You call it correctly what it is, critical race theory. It's a form of Marxist critical theory, which is all about uh, criticizing the institutions of Western society relentlessly until under the weight of the criticism, they collapse. It's about uh, an ideological attack on the West, essentially. At the time when this first came up, how much did you understand about what you were dealing with? Did you know then what critical race theory was? Did you have the background of, of the Marxist ideology? Or did you have to pick it up as you went along and you know, what is this that I'm dealing with? Yeah, no, so I, I did know quite, I did know a bit about it and I, I recognised it quite quickly as being critical race theory. I mean, since then I've I've got away and I've learned I've learned a lot more about the you know the underpinnings and I've done a lot more reading to try and kind of get myself you know equipped to be able to tackle this um but no I I, I at the time I was aware um and I was just quite shocked I, I I knew that it was I was sort of aware of it happening in America um but I just thought oh that that wouldn't happen here you know we're a bit more sensible we wouldn't have we wouldn't have something like that in the NHS um so it was very shocking I was like oh my gosh you know I, I was wrong. <laughs> you make a stand against this. You re you recognise it for what it is. Well, you're obviously um, struck by the attack on Christianity as being well, it, it, even on the surface of it, ex extremely odd because here you have a, a state-funded NHS organisation. Engaged in, a, in an in an attack on an, an explicit attack on Christianity, when of course Christianity, like any other form of belief, is a protected characteristic under the law in Britain. So that alone is a bit of a strange set of a, events. Mm -hmm. um, you started to you started to push back. So what was the initial response that came back from the organisation to your uh, what would we call it resistance to the message? Yeah. So, so the the course lead um, sent me an email saying that we we need to talk about my response to the lecture, and I got invited into a, a meeting with her. Um, and she sort of said the, the sort of tone was that I, I'd sort of potentially done something wrong. Um, and she said that, given my personal views, that the, the course itself might not be right for me. Um, she described the organisation as being an anti-racist organisation, which is another sort of misnomer for critical race theory, essentially. Um, and I said, well, I'm also against racism. I said, you know, my, my belief is that um, everybody's equal and should be treated equally and we shouldn't judge people based on their ethnicity or race. And, and I always aim to try not to be prejudiced. You know, that's the goal. And um, what, what some people refer to as a sort of colourblind approach. Um, and she said that 
they that it's that is now considered discredited and outdated um which was just <laughs> quite an extraordinary thing to hear to hear that being said and i said you know this lecturer put forth the view that all, all white people are racist essentially and i said is that is that the view of that particular lecturer or is that the view of of the organization more broadly and she said i, th I think it would be you know the view of the of the organization um, and she went on to say, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit like the way there's an inherent sexism in all men. And I said, well, I don't agree with that either. So that doesn't really help me. Um, and there was a, it was just sort of left as, you know, a kind of a, a, an idea that I sh I should, I need to be quiet if I'm going to be able to continue on the course. It was clear at this point that your, your beliefs, your viewpoints were being seen as problematic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The cultural Marxists use um, use the same vocabulary, but they don't use the same dictionary. The words mean different things. Uh, Anti-racist is a really good example of this, because when a normal person hears anti-racist, they think it means someone who's against racism. And, um, and, and certainly with the Christian worldview, you would be against racism for a variety of reasons. Um, and most, um, most worldviews, not all, but most, would, would agree with that position that we should be against racism. But of course, that's not what anti-racist means. Um, the, 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 the cultural Marxists define racism as discrimination based on race, that decreases equity, equity being the degree to which the outcomes for people are identical or the same. Anti-racism they define as discrimination based on race that increases equity. So in other words, when they say anti-racist, they mean being discriminatory against people because of their skin color or other ethnic um, characteristics um, in order to produce more equal outcomes. In other words, for example, not um, providing medical services to, say, white people um, based wholly on need, but modifying that to um, produce outcomes more equal amongst what they would term the various races um, uh, you know, look, looked at statistically across the whole of society. Right, so anti-racism means being uh, means discriminating based on race, but for what they would term to be a noble reason, mm -hmm. and and not um, what you would term uh, sort of colorblind, which is not discriminating on race. So it's a very strange strange world where the words don't mean what you would think they mean. Um, I, I don't yeah. know if you found that aspect of it difficult as you started to um, as you started to resist what was being imposed, but um, certainly the 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 strange um, modification of language and the changing of the meaning of words is is a very strong characteristic of this ideology that you're facing. It's really difficult to have a conversation when you're using different language essentially because you're you're, you're using words and it mean, what you mean by it, they mean something different. So how can you have a conversation? Essentially, that's what language is. It's a shared understanding of, of what a word means. <laughs> um, so yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I was later, um, not not long after that, I, I had a, a sort of report into my progress on the course, and I was I was told that I was doing well with my patients, but the progress board had noted that my that my views weren't in keeping with the trust's anti-racist thinking. So if someone says you're not anti-racist, that kind of essentially implies that you're racist, right? Which is is not a very nice thing to be accused of at all. Um, but of course, I I hadn't said anything racist in my you know i would argue i'm i'm highlighting the fact that they're being racist so it's it's very difficult to have a, a conversation with an organization that's where you where you don't have a shared a shared language essentially um i, I was saying you know, i'm using the dictionary definition of these words you know just um to illustrate before we move on one more point of how the words uh do not mean what we would think they mean Colorblind in social justice usage. Uh, I'm reading here from um, the excellent uh, encyclopedia of social justice on, on the New Discourses website. Uh, it says the idea of claiming colorblindness is akin to the notion of being not racist. And as with not racist, the colorblind individual, by ostensibly failing to see race, fails to see racism. Uh, and falls into racist passivity. The language of colorblindness, like the language of being not racist, is a mask to hide racism. Mm. This is the definition. If you say I don't see I don't see um, race in in how I'm conducting myself professionally, they define that as a racist statement, as a mask <laughs> to hide your racism. There is no way, there is no way out of yeah. Well, this is when it gets to be a religion. And one of the things I want to talk to you in a little while about is how religious this is in nature. It's like a far left woke version of original sin. Yeah. You cannot eliminate, you cannot get away. You're born white British. You, that's, that's your original sin and there's no way out of it for you. You have to spend your life working to, you know, lessen your guilt. I suppose. Um, psychologically, an extremely harmful idea, I would have thought. But anyway, how did things develop from there? You, you, you had you had your warning put down. You were told that you're basically you had to check your thinking, and your thinking might not be compatible. What happened next? I spoke to some people in my life. I have a, a close friend who um, is a is a legal advisor, and I said, you know. Surely this is against the Equalities Act because they're singling out a, a race and they're singling out a religion. Um, and I said, well, you know, I got some advice about it. And I said, what do you think I should do? So I, I sort of, I decided to just complain, to make a complaint, an official complaint and see what their response was. I sort of, sort of hoping that someone higher up would um, sort of, you know, step in and say, oh gosh, you know, no, that's wrong. We don't, we don't really mean that. You know, so, so that's just a view. That's just one view, but you're, you know, it's fine for you to disagree. Um, so I, I, I made a complaint um, and they said they were taking it seriously and they were, that there would be an investigation. Um, while they was doing that, they continued to, <laughs> to push reading material onto me that was of similar nature. Um, the, the stuff about whiteness and, 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 and sort of anti-Christian rhetoric. So something about, again accusing the bible of being racist and oh i just noted it and didn't say anything and then there was a review of the term where i was asked by the course lead what, what i thought why how i'd found the course so far and 
there was anything I, I didn't like or disagreed with and I said well you know I don't like this this recent reading material it's it's again it's being racist about white people um and it's singling out the Christian religion and I, I I've already noted that that's happened and I've already made it you know I've already spoken about that and it's happening still um and in response to that she raised a student conduct policy against me so she sent me an email saying that um i'd spoken inappropriately i'd conducted myself in a, a vexatious manner and that i'd created a, a traumatizing environment for people um and the, the student conduct policy is essentially the first part of a disciplinary proceeding to sort of remove me from the course all i'd essentially said was that these ideas aren't evidence-based they're discriminatory you know uh, and that was it really um and she just told me to be to stop talking so, so you were literally silent yeah so you're yeah. you're raising you're raising a complaint against the trust for discriminating mm. against you mm. was painted as inherently toxic behavior yeah yeah that that's right and they started a disciplinary procedure against you in response. Yeah, that's right. How senior was this person? Um, she was. I don't. I don't know if I necessarily want to name names, but she was. She was in a significant position of power. She was the lead of the, the course. She was the head of the course. So the head. Okay. No, it's, 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 the head of the course was basically saying um, that you that you are that your complaint about this policy was itself was traumatizing was itself behavior which was essentially pathological yeah yeah they're actively harmful yeah it's a misuse of, of psychological terminology essentially it's it's not trauma to disagree with someone that, that shouldn't be traumatizing um anyhow but uh that's what they were arguing um and then they they got back to me about my initial complaint and they essentially said that they just doubled down on the ideology essentially they said that we encourage all our students to interrogate whiteness um and we see whiteness as a system of power and privilege and our policies need to reflect that more they'd actually realized that they needed to do more of it rather than less of it that's that was their response um which was quite incredible oh, really yeah, yeah. So, well, well, yeah, there are three rules, right? Social justice warriors always lie, social justice warriors always double down, and social justice warriors always project. So mm. if they call you a racist, it's because they're racist. If they're caught yeah. with a lie, they'll double down. This is, this, is, this is usually correct. So the head of the course and the, court, the course you were on doubled mm. down and and was absolutely clear that we need more critical race theory, that we're absolutely committed to this ideology and there will be no turning around. Mm. Um, did you raise this with the higher echelons of uh, Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust? Did you take it to chief executive level? Did you take it to board level? I mean, how high did you push this to try and get an internal resolution? There was an internal investigation where, as I said, they sort of doubled down, and I, I then appealed that investigation. So I said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not happy with the results," and I, um, I took it as far. I took it all the way up to the CEO. Essentially, um, they rejected my appeal for a uh, an internal, a further internal investigation, and they they just parroted the same stuff. I was wondering, did you have any direct 
communication um, or, or contact with uh, the CEO or anyone at board level? Yeah, the CEO did. Um, he essentially responded by saying, you know, uh, that we are an anti-racist organisation and we take racism seriously um, and we uh, we are against discrimination towards BAME, what they were called, called BAME um, people, which is black and ethnic minorities, and, and we're an anti-racist organisation. And that's that's what they keep saying in response to me is when I raise, when I quote things that they're saying that are racist, they just say we are an anti-racist organisation. And it and again, it comes back to the having a different understanding of what the word means, so we can't yes. we can't get any yes. further than that. Yes, it comes back to the different different dictionary, and it's it 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 means that that the, these two statements seem well, they both can't be true, but actually they are because the way they define anti-racism is, of course, racist. Right? Yes. It is inherently racist because it is discriminating based on race, right? Mm -hmm. And and what they don't tell the public is yes, they're discriminating based on race and they're going to continue to do it and they think it's right that they should do this because we have to do something about whiteness. Um, mm. this, is, this is the view they have. Whiteness mm. is the original sin. Now, the, the aspect of this that I, I was becoming um, kind of dimly aware of for a while, but was um, very crisply put um, by an American commentator called James Lindsay, mm -hmm. who has the New Discourses website I mentioned earlier, um, who actually is not a Christian um, yet. He's not a Christian. He was, in fact, one of the new atheists. He was very radically anti-religion some years ago. Uh, he was part of the, the, the sort of new atheist movement, and he now finds himself allied with mostly Christians fighting against the woke ideology. And he's looked at this with some considerable depth and read all of the original um, texts that, that generated the ideology from the original philosophers, you know, uh, Marcuse, Derrida, of um, um, Foucault, all of these sorts of guys. And his conclusion is it is a religion. And not only is Marxism or neo-Marxism a religion, um, but it sees itself as the opponent of Christianity. It sees Christianity as the thing that must be replaced in order for their ideology, their worldview to gain dominance and for them to reshape the world in the way that they wish and to destroy essentially the, the, the tenets of Western society, which includes such things as the nation, the church, and the family. And mm -hmm. as we've seen more recently, even ideas of what male and female is, all boundaries, all borders, all limitations have to be pulled apart um, under this ideology. They see Christianity as the great opponent. And, and that's, why it's, that's why it's specifically Christianity they go after. Because if you look at the belief system of, say, Islam or Judaism, there's a, 
there's a substantial amount of overlap. And, and, and in many of the cases, you think, well, okay, well, you could equally go after Islam, say, but you don't. Mm -hmm. um, why is that? There's a couple of reasons, but one's tactical, I think. But the other one is they see Christianity as their enemy. And that's clear in the literature. It was explicitly stated by some of their main thinkers 40, 50 years ago. Um, it's very interesting to see it playing out in the NHS in the 21st century England. We, we see this actually being explicitly stated in this, the going after Christianity, you know, it's directly in the crosshairs. This is the problem. Mm. And they're doing so in a very blatant, very bold manner and against the background of the legislation, which makes it a protected characteristic. It's a, it's a very strange choice for an organization to, um, to make. I mean, I'm assuming the chief executive. Who is the chief executive of, of um, Tavistock and Portman? Uh, Paul Jenkins. What's Paul Jenkins. I'm assuming Paul Jenkins has got legal advisors and is, and is well advised on his requirements under the Equalities Act, on his duties mm. under the Equalities Act. And, and against that background, um, I find the immediate doubling down and the apparent lack of any doubt over the line they're following um, surprising. There's no, what would you say, there's no moderation, there's no fence-sitting. They're not yeah. saying, well, we want to push this ideology, but we can't go too far because the legislation says this. It, there doesn't seem to be any kind of holding back. It's very full-on. Critical race theory is what we believe. This is what we are going to teach, and this is what all of our students need to adopt. I mean, is, am I mischaracterizing it, or, or was it just as powerfully put as that? No, I think that's right. It's tantamount to religion, because the point that I've been making all the way through, you know, I'm quite a liberal person in the sense that I believe, you know, clinicians, they can believe in whatever theories they want in their own time. I'm just essentially saying we need to be aware that there's different viewpoints. There needs to be a debate if you're going to argue the case that Christianity is racist. Well, firstly, I don't know why that's on a psychotherapy course, but you would also want to hear the other side of the debate. So I've just been very kind of essentially saying, look, we need to have different viewpoints. But as you say, they can't allow for any doubt. And that is, they can't allow for that other point of view because they think they've got, it's like the one true truth. It's it's the truth. It's not a viewpoint. It's the truth. Um, and that is, that is kind of like a, a kind of fundamentalism that you would see in very you know, religious people. It's cult-like. Yes, it's 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 like a religious cult as opposed to a healthy religious debate. It's the the fact that the opposing view must not be heard. That's yeah. characteristic of cults, not not um, not more um, healthily functioning religious organisations. Yeah. Did you find any support from anywhere, either 
within the organisation or uh, from the, 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 your fellow students? Did you get any backup and support? Not, no, not, not at all. Um, I mean, there were some lecturers who I would describe as being neutral. They, they didn't, you know, but nobody, no actual genuine support. Nobody came to my defence or sort of stepped in and said, you know, this has gone too far or, um, you know, yeah, it, it was quite extraordinary. I was on my own with it for, you know, over a year, um, being made to feel like there was something, something wrong with me, essentially. I, you know, when you've got a whole, a whole organisation telling you that, that, you know, you're wrong, you, you have to sort of think, well, maybe I am, you know, <laughs> because it'd be rather arrogant of me to just think, no, I'm, I'm right all the time. So it's, it's very, it's very difficult position to be in. On that front, right, the, the, the difficulty of the position, did they respond to that? Was there any idea that your welfare or well-being um, might be at risk, that you would need an advocate, you would need someone on your side, you would need someone along with you as you were facing, well, what starts to look like a tribunal of, yeah. you know, of inquiry. That 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 you deserve some protection through this process. Did, did that get recognised? Not in a not in a serious way. So at the very start, I did I did say this is having an impact on my on my mental health and it, it's very stressful. And they didn't really they didn't follow that up. I, I did have an email from HR sort of directing me to student support services. Um, and I didn't take that up because I, I, I just thought, <laughs> I was just worried I'd get more of the same because if the whole organisation is saying that this is our view, I don't want to go to just student support services and be told the same thing. So I, I didn't take that up. But other than that, yeah, their, their sort of care, their duty of care towards me was pretty lackluster. It didn't, didn't really exist. And um, I was being having to go to all these, you know, meetings and disciplinary meetings and it, they wasn't really asking me, you know, are you okay? How are you? Um, Can you describe for us a disciplinary, a typical disciplinary meeting? It was just, uh, it was really difficult. It was essentially they were just saying that I was wrong. Basically, they were just, they just kept saying, you know, that they just kept coming up with these ideas about white privilege and privilege, and and, and you know, this is this is the view, and um, they were essentially saying that. Uh, that while they understand that I might have found those ideas difficult, there was that that highlighted a problem with my learning, um, and that essentially it was it was I was being defensive by not accepting these ideas. So I needed to I needed to go away and and think about it and and kind of learn more and educate myself. Essentially, that that was the idea. You must accept the the the, the truth of their position. That was the only the only line. Okay. So how did you go from internal um, complaints and disciplinary procedures to thinking, no, I, I actually need to take a stand on this legally? What was the, was the yeah, point that so, pushed you over that particular edge? Yeah, so it's the point after they raised the student conduct policy against me, um, they didn't follow any of their policies or procedures. They were supposed to meet with me. They were supposed to hear my side of the argument. They didn't do any of that. They just sent a letter to my house saying that I'd spoken inappropriately about race. They didn't quote what I'd said. 
but that I, um, if I continue to do so, I could be suspended from the course and it may affect my ability to enter the profession. So at that point, I felt very much like that was after the first year and I still had a whole nother year and I felt like I was totally being marked out. Um, that all, you know, if I just did one more thing, one more slip up there or something, not that I had slipped up, but if I just said they could use anything against me and then I would be out. So um, that's when I started to think about serious legal action. Um, I'd already been getting a little bit of legal advice, um, but not serious. But at that stage, um, we'd looked into the fact that essentially what, what they were saying was against the Equalities Act and they were discriminating against me um, and they were trying to hound me out of, of the course and the profession. Um, and I felt like, yeah, you know, everybody sort of felt like it, it looked like it was quite, it could be a good case. and. Particularly with regards to critical race theory, I felt that this was really important because um, there hasn't been that much legal action against critical race theory in this country. So there's our, our government have made some noise about it and said that these ideas shouldn't be being taught as fact and, and so on, but they are being taught as fact and it just carries on. So I was I was sort of feeling that A, I wanted to protect myself, my career. Also, I thought, actually, this is quite an important thing to do more broadly. Did you get any political support? Did you go and speak to MPs or anything about this? I have done recently, so more that not, not when I was going through it, but um, more recently now that I've served court documents and you know, I've had some press attention, I, I've met with my MP who was really supportive and um, you know, it, it really looked at the case and... Um, yeah, he was really supportive and we're we're trying to, we actually had recently Claire Fox spoke about the case in the House of Lords. So we're we're getting some attention politically and we're hoping to do that, you know, going forward as well. Um obviously legal cases take a lot of time and it's it's a big it's yeah. a big endeavour. Yeah. But hopefully as it goes along and you know, depending on the outcome, I I I'm hoping that it can get political attention, yeah. Where is the case now? I, I see your um, crowdfunder when we reported on the story on um, Monday, so three days ago, it was at ninety nine thousand, and it's nearly one hundred and seven thousand. So, uh, out of one hundred and fifty thousand, you're seeking to raise. So, the crowdfunder is clearly going very well. Um, uh, where where is the legal process at at the moment? The crowdfund's been amazing, and just thank you to everyone that's donated. If there's anyone listening, it's it's just it's. I've had to live with the sort of risk of, of the financial risk for a long time. And now I feel so much more relieved that I can actually afford what I'm doing. Um, but in terms of the legal case that so we, we serve court documents to them, we're now, uh, we agreed a stay, which is kind of when you put a pause on the legal case for them to prepare their defence. Um, there's still back and forth negotiations going with my legal team and their legal team. So we haven't got their defence yet. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see. I don't, I don't want to say anything at this stage, but uh, yeah, we're, we're looking to um, maybe get some expert witness testimony against some of these ideas. And we're, 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 we're I mean, it's, we'll see how it develops. But um, yeah, it's, I, I haven't had a cost hearing yet, so I'm going to have to see how much it will cost, but it, it is going to cost a lot. So it's amazing to have that, that you know, if those donations are, that's changed. That's a big game changer for me. So yeah, if anybody wants to see my, you know, crowdfund, I've got a video on my crowdfund which shows some of the things they've been saying. Um, 
and it's it's GoFundMe Stand Up to Woke, um, and that's the campaign that I'm going to try to be sort of leading. And and as you've gone public with this and and launched the legal case, um, and I'd have to say that 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 given the nature of the events, founding your opposition to them around a legal case is a is a very a very strong decision. That's a very good decision because political support and um, public support um, can rally uh, around a case, a, a, a court case, and it can provide a, a kind of central um, focus uh, for a campaign where otherwise it, it kind of lacks that um, objective. So I, I've seen that work in the past extremely well. Um, now that you've gone public, um, you've been discussed in the House of Lords, etc. What's the public response and indeed the press response been to you? Oh, it's been amazing. It's um, the, and mostly it's been really good. I mean, I was really preparing myself for a lot of backlash with this. You know, I was sort of thinking this is going to, when I go public, I'm going to get a lot of negative, you know, I'm going to get a lot of negative attention. And I was sort of thinking, you know, I had to weigh that up in my mind. But actually, it's been mostly positive. I've had so many, I've had lots of health professionals contacting me saying, you know, I feel the same way. I can't speak up. Um, I'm so pleased that you have. I'm so pleased that you're taking this legal action. I've had people from all walks of life um, contacting me saying, you know, really support you. Um, I've had, yeah, and um, the press have largely been really helpful in, in helping me to get some publicity for it. So I was, yeah, it, it's been amazing. And the fact that people are donating and writing to me as well, offering if there's anything that they could do to support me, it's, um, yeah, it is, it is very much a kind of silent majority that they all say, seem to say the same thing, that, you know, you, what you're saying is common sense. And, um, you know, I can't believe they're teaching these ideas and we, we all need to stand up to this because, you know, we all feel scared to. So, yeah, there is there is a lot of support out there. The people in the medical profession have written to you saying they're too scared to stand yeah. up. Um, um, did they explain why they're scared, how they became scared? Did they explain the pressures that they're, they're seeing? Yeah, so I've had some, yeah, I've had some nurses and uh, some doctors as well and some trainee counsellors and psychotherapists and they, they sort of say, you know, I got pulled into a diversity uh, seminar and I, I I really didn't like some of the things they were saying but you know I didn't want to you know I felt like I was the only one and I didn't want to um, you know I didn't want to I didn't want to have to go I didn't want to have to make a big deal out of it I didn't want the focus to be on me so I didn't say anything but I wish I had or some people have said um, you know that, that maybe have raised it and they haven't and they haven't had much of a, a a kind of good experience of people responding back so there's been a there's a lot of people that have said that they've had an issue with their employer where they've had made a complaint but they didn't go any further than that and they sort of say you know what you're doing by taking legal action is is you know the next step that i couldn't have done but that's a, that's great that you're doing it so there's a lot of people giving me examples of things that have happened to them where they've been shamed where they've been ostracized um, and they maybe even left the job and got a job elsewhere, just sort of, you know, 
accepted it rather than doing anything about it um just because it's you know it's a huge thing to do so uh, you know i can understand I can understand why they wouldn't you know want to but yeah it is it's it is something that all people all across the country and and not just in the uk i've had some people in other countries saying that you know we've got this here as well we've got this in australia we've got it in new zealand um so yeah and do you have any uh feel for how widespread this ideology is in the nhs i mean you you've experienced this in one trust in one course in one trust is is it is that an outlier is that typical is that simply the one of the more extreme examples of a general problem do you have any feel for how how much this has actually penetrated the nhs yeah i mean i was hoping it was an outlier but um i mean i spoke to some some psychologists recently, uh, uh, Kirsty Miller and Carol Sherwood, who've done a recently done a Freedom of Information Act, where they've looked at psychology training courses all across the UK, and they've found essentially that this this what they call anti-racism, this critical race theory, is being is being taught all across the UK in in, in terms of clinical psychology at least. I don't know about other disciplines. Um, but I do know, I do see as someone that works in the NHS that the NHS does use this phrase anti-racism a lot. Sometimes in it, you know, it, it may be that people don't know what it means and they're using it in a mild sense to mean, you know, quality in a in a in a normal in a kind of normal way. But it does keep coming up a lot. And but yeah, it, definitely within the field of psychology, it seems that it's it's across the country. It's it's in, in lots of universities where people are being made to. Oh, discuss this idea of whiteness and white privilege and um, so on so, and view different people as being oppressors or oppressed and um, so on and so forth and and uh, people you know lots of people saying that they're not comfortable with that and um, it, I mean I was speaking to the psychologist that did the report and they're explaining that it, it's fundamentally against the ethics of the profession because we're taught to be non-judgmental and to create a neutral space, whereas the ideology encourages clinicians to be activists, essentially, which is not what we're supposed to do. Yeah, it's really in contrast. It's it's a complete conflict, isn't it? Um, it is the, I mean, my 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 experience of talking to uh, people involved in essentially related fields of 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 counselling and um, you know helping people with um mental health and trauma um they are <laughs> being judgmental and imposing their world view on their clients is a complete anathema to them i mean that's that's like the almost the the the, the greatest possible error that that's the thing they avoid utterly and are quite explicit about how they avoid it and why they avoid it you've gone to study this particular field and you've been told that you must have this um this particular ideology and you must apply it it's mm -hmm. it's, it's i mean i'm not i'm not shocked now because we've seen quite a lot of this coming in but the contrast between um my engagement with that field and i was a director of a charity delivering 
um, counselling services, mostly to people who were trauma affected, mm. uh, for 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 a, a short while. But my my experience of interacting with that field, which is only three or four years old, is the exact opposite of what you've just described. The culture is 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 being transformed utterly. It's not simply a a minor correction to the course. It's a complete 180 in terms of how they're viewing the role of the the ideology of the organization and the ideology of the staff and how that interacts with the people you're there to help. It, it's it's I'm I'm a, I'm a, I, I am still quite astonished at, at the speed of the transformation in the profession um, that you're that you're witnessing here. This the speed and the to and, and the totality of it, the whole profession, Tavistock and Portman anyway, seems to have been captured by this ideology. It seems to have jettisoned everything it ever believed in. And this is now all all encompassing. This is now all absorbing. This is the new truth and the only truth. Mm. It's it's a it's a it's a stunning turnaround. Yeah, no, totally, I agree. Like like you said, um, I've always been taught to be you know you have to be aware of your own biases and and um, you know you're 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 not coming. You shouldn't be coming in with an agenda. You shouldn't be telling the patient what you think they should do, or you know you you shouldn't be putting your view onto them. And this this totally goes against that. Um, it, it's and it and it just it, it just encourages you know it's really toxic. It encourages negative thinking and shaming and and kind of guilt tripping people and so on and so forth. These aren't things that you'd want to encourage in a, in in anyone really. So um, no, I totally agree. It it's happened very quickly. I think possibly in the last uh, you know I think obviously I think these ideas have been around for a long time, but the speed at which it's infiltrated the NHS maybe I don't know maybe in the last five years or so and it's become increasingly worse in the last two or three years something like that that's that's my assessment of it anyway yeah yes because I mean the ideas themselves you can trace back certainly to the 60s quite possibly a good bit before that and, and ultimately you can probably get the, ger the, 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 the germination of the ideas uh, back with you know uh, German philosopher Hegel, back to Rousseau, you've got a whole lot of uh, a series of the development of the ideas that, that, that stretch back at least a couple of hundred years. But mm -hmm. in the modern form, we're talking ideas that are 50 to 75 years old and they've been around there and they've been in writing and they never really got too much traction outside the extreme left, mm. and then, then the Berlin Wall came down, and history was over. And mm -hmm. I don't know, did we all take our eye off the ball? But it, it, this this ideology suddenly seemed to be capturing institution after institution. It's the long march through the institutions and. Um, but it's been not so much a march, it's more a sprint. The, 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 the degree to which they've fallen, the speed, the rapidity of it is, is really striking.
I've never, I've never seen such a, a cultural shift in such a short space of time. It's almost like uh, it's again. This comes back to it's like a religion. The the only thing that you could maybe hold up as being somewhat analogous would be something like the Reformation. Mm -hmm. uh, the Reformation swept through Scotland, and literally mobs formed and went around and um, smashed stained glass windows and threw down statues and they changed how the churches looked, they changed how the churches were practicing very, very quickly, um, where this sort of a firestorm of new ideas took hold. It's, it's somewhat like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's got that kind of that speed and almost that, in terms of uh, the ideology, almost that level of violence. Because if you if you resist against it, you're attacked. You're not persuaded. No one's coming and saying, "Well, this is how we see it." You know, I, I hope you'll think about what I said. No, it's it's an attack because you are uh, problematic. You're toxic. You're trauma. Your your words are traumatizing. You know, it's it's all heightened into this kind of febrile, um, uh, emotional, um, and, and, and very aggressive um, attack on anything that stands against the new ideology. This is the, the nature of it, and it's a, it's a strange thing to behold. Uh, to, to, to finish up, Amy, um, you, you're working through um, you, 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 you're still working in the NHS, you, you're a practicing nurse, you, you've got mm -hmm. this hugely important case now com commencing, um, and uh, you're doing you know, interviews and media and describing your case. It's, it must have been a big transformation in, in your life and, um, and not at all what you were expecting. How are you reacting to this? How how are you uh, feeling about this new challenge that's that's been uh, that's been placed in front of you that you you didn't choose, but you're you're now you're now um, uh, picking up. You know, how are you feeling about um, how this has affected your life and uh, your your view of your your career and 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 your your future what's it meant for you personally yeah i mean lots of mixed feelings i mean it's it's been of course really nerve-wracking it's been extremely stressful i've had lots of sleepless nights i mean even being on media is something i'm getting used to i was quite a private person before all this i'm quite introverted in some ways so i'm getting used to sort of being on camera and speaking and gaining confidence in just doing that but it's been I mean it's I feel like it in some ways I feel really positive about it I think it's very meaningful I feel like it's um important so I feel quite focused and determined but it you know it has its down days it's sometimes it just feels you know I just feel absolutely exhausted with it and I want to break from it and um yeah so I kind of a bit of a roller coaster up you know ups and downs um but the the support that I've had has been has been amazing. So yeah. Have you had support from the churches? I've had a few people reach out to me. Um, my church has has 
has been has been really helpful to me um i've had yeah but not i've had a support from christian legal center i've had some advice from them and um, there's an organization called christian concern um they've reached out to me so i've had some christian organizations reach out to me yeah but not not the church as in um the larger organization there's been no response no. say no. from the church of england or anything like that okay no okay that that's maybe another fight for another day um <laughs> Amy, it's, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank, thank you very much for, for taking us through the story. Uh, we'll watch it carefully. We wish you every success in, in, in fighting uh, for, well, the, the right to be able to think is essentially what you're fighting for. The right to be able to discuss, the right to be able to be professional, the right to... Um, be able to dissent. These are these are very important rights, and and this is what you're fighting for. And it's a fight that we're fully behind, and we know only too well that that you may be fighting it today, but you're fighting for hundreds and thousands of people who will be in similar positions all across the country. So uh, we wish you every success, and uh, thank you very much.